Well, thank you tonight. Uh, this is the first of the series of open houses we're going to hold on the uh, City of Peoria's Open Space Preservation Program. It's a program that's been going on for a few years here with the City of Peoria. My name is Sean Cruz-Weisner. I'm the Engineering Planning Manager for the City. And also here tonight is uh, Jeff Sargent, who's actually been uh, helping prepare the master plan for the last few years. And then uh, Bruce Meehan, who's our consultant from AECOM, who's actually helping do some of the, uh, the, the science behind the master plan. Our goal here tonight is to educate um, about what we've been doing and actually also facilitate and get an input back. Um, and with that, let me... What I want to start with is the city's uh, uh, open space mission statement. And open space is really the preservation of, 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 of the undeveloped land within the city. If you're a Peoria resident, you'll know that uh, uh, you know, Peoria has, um, currently has a planning boundary. It's about 230 square miles. And only a portion of that actually has been developed. There's a lot in northern Peoria that has not been developed. So within our general plan, we've actually identified and discussed this. We've talked about that uh, the mission statement. I'll just read the first uh, sentence. It is critical for a community to strike a balance to fac at facilitating development without endangering the protection and sanctity of its natural resources. So when we look at that, we're talking about open space preservation. We're really talking about you know the lands that have not been developed. We have a lot of land up north which actually has entitlement to be developed, i.e. developers can come in and even though it's not developed now, it actually will be developed within our next, uh, our, our, our period of history. But we want to figure out a way to manage that better and what tools can we do to actually uh, encourage and protect uh, open space. Um, talk a little bit about the guiding principles that are actually helping us move forward with this. Um, the City Council has actually had a goal uh, for the last 36 months and it's one of the key uh, goals that they've given to staff and what they want us to work on is preserving our natural environment. And with today's economic downturn, it's actually an opportune time for us to go in and look at that and see what tools we need as we move forward. Um, the City also has a, a general plan and that actually defines what we want to look for as the ultimate vision of what Peoria will look like uh, for jobs, land uses, etc., circulation. And uh, in 2001, the theme of open space was first amended into our general plan. It's been in there ever since. In 2001, it was actually voter ratified. We actually just went through another voter ratification of the master plan, um, uh, or uh, the general plan, 18 months ago. Uh, and again, we've just reinforced the need to protect uh, Peoria's natural resources. In 1999, the city went through an exercise of creating the Peoria Desert Lands Conservation Master Plan. This was in reaction to the annexation of, of largely the, the, the lands around Lake Pleasant and some of the lands south of State, uh, State Route 74 out to 163rd Avenue. Um, and really what it was is that uh, when that land came into the city, the city realized, city staff and, and elected officials realized there need to be some sort of planning efforts to protect this, not just to allow it to all go to development. And the, really the uh, two things really came out of that master plan, which have really helped us through the development cycle as we work, uh, have has currently slowed down, but it's given us some tools. There's the Hillside Development Overlay District and the Desert Lands Conservation Ordinance. What these are are actually uh, uh, zoning ordinances that allow us, us to work through the development process to actually protect sensitive lands. 
The hillside development is to do the hillside slopes. So if a development gets over a certain slope percentage, we uh, discourage disturbance of that slope. We try to get the development to occur down in the lesser slopes. And then the um, Desert Lands Conservation Ordinance is really looking for the landforms, significant wash features. We're trying to protect those natural features. So we have two uh, uh, guiding documents that are currently in place that are tools to us to work through the development process to help protect open space. That were a direct result of the, uh, the Conservation Master Plan. And we also have what's called the Parks, Recreation, Open Space, and Trails Master Plan. The last update was adopted 2006-2007. It's actually due for an adoption. And that talks about open space. It talks about the, the, the city's trail system and also the active and passive recreational needs of citizens and trying to protect that and provides a guidance for that. So these are some of the, the detailed documents that we looked at and we, we uh, um, saw uh, and investigated to see if there's a need to change any of these. Um, with this current program, as we move forward, we sort of came up with four vision statements. Um, identify ecological and historically significant lands. That's North Peoria has a, a rich cultural history from historic and prehistoric. And we want to go out and we've actually been working with this master plan to actually identify those and catalog those. Uh, provide abundant and high quality recreational opportunities. These are multiple opportunities. Uh, there's existing opportunities, uh, OHV opportunities up in the northern area. There's existing trails. Uh, what do the citizens of Peoria want to see happen with the, the, the lands that aren't going to be developed? Um, create an extensive open space network for future generations to avoid, uh, to enjoy, sorry. That is really linking it all together. You know, we want to do something now. We have the opportunity. We are not built out. We have a lot of land to be developed. We have a lot of uh, properties that are entitled to come in and, and be developed. But how can we change how Peoria builds out and to protect our natural history, our, na our natural history? And then um, the other vision is to prioritize desirable open space uh, properties for acquisition. Because we realize, um, you know, we don't have an unlimited uh, uh, funds available to us right now to just go out and, and once we identified everything, just go out and purchase it. So we actually have to figure out what, what are the priorities. Is it development pressures? Is there a cultural site that we want to preserve? Is there something else that's driving the need in the near future for us to actually go and protect that land? And to jump in about the funding right now, the city has identified funding actually for the preservation and purchase of open space. So the capital project, that's actually a star numbering schema. Um, so uh, uh, CS00089, it shows up in our city's capital fund. Uh, the name, I think, just got modified, but there's about just under $3 million in funding available for us to go out and actually purchase open space. That's the cash we have in the bank right now. Um, beyond that, the city's actually gone out and has uh, voter authorization to um, sell uh, general obligation uh, bonds and we have about eight million dollars in bonding authority that authority came in 2002 and 2004 bond elections when the city went out and asked for that authority that's not money we have in hand we'd actually have to issue bonds for that and that actually compete for other funds but it is actually another funding mechanism available to us and I'll talk about impact fees um, after the 99 master plan was adopted the city went through a process and was able to identify that um, we wanted to collect impact fees on, uh, uh, it was actually only single family and multifamily residential homes. Uh, when they developed, they, uh, a small fee was collected on single family home, I think it was $137 per household. That was put into a pot of money available for open space acquisition. That, that's where a portion of the, the just under $3 million we have available right now is, is from. Uh, there's actually a, a recent Senate bill that changed our ability to do that, Senate Bill 1525. 
And as of last December, the city is no longer collecting those impact fees. The money we had collected up to that point uh, through development, uh, we actually, uh, about a million dollars is, is part of the, our available funds. And we're hoping as we move forward and the city actually works through the implementation of that new Senate bill, we can actually, uh, again, use that as a funding mechanism in the future. But uh, again, we have some money. We don't have a lot of money. Uh, but I just wanted to point that out. And I talked about the, the tools that the, the city currently has. I've, I've talked a bit about that. You know, through the development process, we have the, the what we call the DLCO, Desert Lands Conservation Ordinance. We have the Hillside Ordinance. We have other things that we can work with the development entitlement process to to acquire open space. So that's not us going out and purchase it. It's someone comes in and says, I want to develop my property. We can work with them to preserve what we think are some sensitive lands. We realize there's probably some tweaks after we've been through this or are working through this uh, master plan right now to those documents. Uh, we can do an outright land purchase, which is something, again, we just go out, get a land appraisal, and we actually just go out and, and pay cash for it and take it in and say that we're going to preserve this because we own it. Or we can actually work with landowners to get voluntary participation. We can ask them to put conservation or preservation easements on it or do a land trust, which is they're basically saying we will not uh, develop this land. Um, we, the city doesn't have to purchase it outright, but it's being preserved for that. And... Uh, even further than that, there's actually some other processes because a lot of the land that we currently have that is undeveloped in the city is actually either state uh, owned by the state of Arizona or from the federal government. So there are specific mechanisms that we can work with those agencies. With the state trust, there's actually what's called the Arizona Preserve Initiative where we can get uh, a designation placed on that land that helps us go and uh, purchase it in the future. And then with uh, the federal lands like BLM, uh, Bureau of Land Management, or Bureau of Reclamation, BOR, we can work with management agreements with them. So we're looking at this master plan is letting us look at everything, or this master program is letting us look at all the opportunities available to us. And with that, I'm going to pass it over to Bruce Meehan, who's going to talk about the process that we've used to actually identify the lands. Well, thank you very much, Sean. Um, the process is pretty straightforward. Um, it starts off with determining open space types, and open space types are what types of open space uh, do we want? And that is everything from areas we want to preserve for cultural to areas that are more uh, passive that allow for um, uh, recreational uses. So um, the process that we used was to develop criteria that help target those open space areas uh, and target them for acquisition. We collected various sets of data. We're still getting it in as, as stakeholders get involved. And then we built a tool, which was um, called an Open Space Decision Support System, that helps us find those areas um, that are out there um, within uh, City of Peoria's planning boundary. Now, um, where that emerged and where it's changed over time is this has emerged from a tool and a vision to an actual program. And that program is a long-term program to actually go out and acquire additional lands for both preservation as well as public use. And this plan should go on from now till um, years, years into the future. If you break down the model and, and you think of it in its most simplistic way, it starts off with what are the open spaces that you're looking for, whether it's for cultural, whether it's for uh, preservation of natural resources, or whether it's for recreational use. Um, you put in your criteria and essentially you have slider bars or weights from 1 to 10 and you say which factors do you want the model to go look to go target that open space for acquisition. 
you can look at various scenarios. For example, who owns the land? What's the land that's most in risk of development? And it will be able to run through various scenarios to say which ones should you acquire based on those factors. And then the last thing that we did was calibration and then making sure that the model actually worked and was picking out those open spaces that you would expect it to. Now what's, what's interesting about this model is traditional models, if you look at um, models that uh, might have been done about three or four years ago, they dealt with the overlay method. So places where you might have a sensitive resource and then you overlay it in with a cultural resource overlaid by some other factor, um, those three factors would be highlighted in the model and that would be the place that you would acquire. This model, in fact, looks at the relationship of various things. It says, how close am I to a trail? How close am I to a sensitive area? How close am I to a really cool view shed? And it says, let's acquire that one because it's got public access, it's got great views, and it's got some resources. So let's put our money where there's multiple factors that contribute to that open space type. So the models now are, are starting to evolve to understand relationships. So if we look at some of the, the unique things of this model, it, uh, it looks at not only resources, but it looks at risk of development. How likely is that parcel um, is to develop? It understands visibility. What are our view sheds that are out there? It understands the cost of the land. So who owns it and how much is that gonna cost taxpayers? Can we do it through um, just simply dedication? Is it really um, um, already public land and we just don't want it to uh, go away? Um, so those are other factors. It understands access. Do we have access to that land for public use? And should we target areas where we do have access? Also it understands how close we are to various things. Um, and then it understands ownership, which really deals with cost and the ability to acquire that land. So the first thing that we did was we talked about uh, values. What are various values from one to 10 for these things? And our values range from everything to protecting wetlands, to hydrologies, to visibility and slope. We also defined our open space types and uh, going from the top to bottom, those include natural resources. So uh, when we're going out there and we're asking the model to find our most sensitive natural resources, we weighted various factors. For example, areas that have sensitive uh, species on it, it would go and try to find those first. And it would also say, well, um, if we're gonna be acquiring those areas, um, maybe they shouldn't be near population centers um, because of access. Cultural resources, areas that obviously have uh, sensitive cultural artifacts on it, the model will go out and, and find those various factors. Other things like passive, where are the places that we like to recreate that have large vistas, large enough open space, uh, maybe that are possibly not near population centers, so we can go out and we can recreate without having conflicts with um, proposed uh, subdivisions. And then the last one is separation buffer, the concept that some of our open space can be used to separate um, ourselves from other uses, so either separating various communities from each other or separating some of our sensitive natural resources and recreation areas from planned development. The other interesting thing of the model is in today's times, um, a lot of people just look at resource protection 
and where the areas that are most sensitive in terms of acquiring it for open space. This model actually looks at things through a variety of filters and lenses. That includes uh, not only resource protection, but also what lands can we acquire for, for protection uh, that is the most minimal public cost. So where's our biggest bang for our buck that we can do and allow the model to identify those. Um, areas that are our best value, so maybe areas that are most at risk of being developed, that have the most sensitive resources, but also have the lowest cost to taxpayers. Last um, is um, our complete open space program that looks at all these factors, how many dollars we have, and let's target something that has both passive uses where we're allowed recreation, other ones where it's cultural resources. Let's look at the whole package to make sure that we're making uh, the best decisions. So the result of the model itself is once you run the model is the model goes in and targets those various open space types so we have additional public lands. The program's framework includes uh, the, the concept of districts so that when we go in and we target open space for acquisition, we're making sure that we're doing this in a variety of districts so we don't end up with one, one type. For example, um, we got to make sure that we don't have all the lands that we protect up to the north. We have some that are close to town, um, but we have other ones in, in various landscapes. So over time, these districts are going to be used to monitor the success of the open space program to say how well are we doing in each one of these various districts. So the model has recently been run based on um, those four open space types and, and then actually 26 values for each one of those open, for each open space type. And it's come up with a series of recommendations for acquisition. Um, again, these can be changed based on changing those values and changing some of the data inputs. Um, but um, we now have some of those initial results. Uh, the purpose of the next series of public meetings is to get input on what those values are where these, where these open space acquisitions should occur and making sure that we um, um, have not only the public support on this but also our stakeholders to make sure that this program moves forward. On that note, I'll turn it over to Jeff Sargent to describe uh, some of these priority areas. Okay, thanks Bruce. Um, So we've, through the model, we've come up with a series of focus areas, what we're calling PFAs or primary focus areas. Uh, the model has given us uh, some fairly rich information on uh, the different uh, types, the natural sensitive, the cultural uh, separation and what have you. Uh, the next, next task that we have then was to actually go into these uh, focus areas and take a look at where the boundaries are and uh, what uh, what the conditions are. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Now, one of them we talked about was natural sensitive. And this is areas, of course, where you have uh, uh, extreme scenic beauty. If uh, you've driven up uh, along SR-74 and looked to the north, you, you know how beautiful the mountains uh, look up through there, and especially around Lake Pleasant. Uh, these are resources that are important to the city, uh, but they're also resources that are important for recreation uses as well. Hikers, equestrians, uh, OHV, 
boaters. I mean, it's it's a very rich uh, resource for us, not only in terms of scenic beauty, but in recreation value as well. Uh, so we've got a very large area that uh, is primarily under ownership by BLM in this particular case, uh, and we'll be uh, working with uh, our partnering, partnering agencies like BLM and Bureau of Reclamation and uh, State Lands uh, to develop a, uh, a little tighter program for these, these particular areas. Another example, uh, this is an example of a uh, heritage cultural site. Um, this particular area is uh, in multiple ownerships, BLM, state land, uh, private ownerships, flood control district. Uh, as Sean alluded to, we've discovered uh, through a process here that the uh, northern part of Peoria is culturally rich. Uh, there are historic mines uh, throughout the area. There are uh, prehistoric uh, sites. Uh, there's a number of uh, features that uh, uh, from the, the turn of the century, the Marionette Canal, Canal and, and other features that uh, uh, may be worth preserving. We're trying to identify those as we go through and then prioritize them uh, so that uh, the city can acquire them if it's necessary or put a conservation district around it uh, or somehow preserve them so that we uh, can have these for future generations. Here's an example of passive. Uh, a passive doesn't mean uh, just go out and sit. It, can, it, it actually means uh, passive recreation, uh, which is, I suppose, maybe a misnomer because passive recreation would be hiking, uh, riding your, uh, your uh, uh, trail bike uh, in certain areas, riding your horse, uh, number mountain bike, a number of other activities. Uh, this particular area that I'm illustrating on this is the uh, west terrace of the Ava Fria River. Uh, you'll notice there's some green splotches uh, to the uh, well, to this side of uh, of the area. Uh, those are areas that will be dedicated to the city through uh, private development as it comes in. Those are generally hilltops, areas above 15% slope. Um, and they were done before the master plan. Uh, our task now is to make sure that these open space areas uh, in the future and the ones that will be dedicated are connected in some way so that wildlife can move through uh, the ridge tops and through the washes down into the Ava Fria. Uh, what we want to avoid is the uh, pack of coyotes going down your, your streets and the javelinas rooting in your front yard. Uh, we're trying to give enough space for wildlife uh, to be able to get uh, from one area to the next. And in doing so, we actually open up some of these areas for recreation value, hiking and mountain biking and, and what have you. The other aspect is, uh, if you can imagine to the east of this area will be future employment and residential areas. You've got Lake Pleasant uh, uh, Parkway and the Loop 303. The scenic value from these roadways is very uh, key to the city. We want to make sure that any development that occurs in these areas is, is responsibly and, and done well so that it doesn't despoil uh, the appearance. Uh, we've got some very beautiful uh, hiking uh, trails uh, in near the area. Uh, an example of one up here, and uh, there's some certainly some beautiful vistas uh, of the Ava Fria River.
this last example, uh, we call it se separation buffer. It's uh, to an area uh, out to the west of uh, our developed area right now, uh, but it's an area that contains uh, many uh, washes uh, that finger through this area. Uh, and as you can see as uh, on this as well as uh, the one before, there are some green splotches around uh, the top and side which are indication of future dedications by development that's uh, coming in here. Well, we want to make sure that those uh, green areas continue across the mountaintops. They're connected, uh, connected to the washes. Uh, we'll have opportunities. Uh, you can see the CAP canal is running through there. We'll have opportunities to bring trails up to the canal. Uh, there's a national trail that goes along the length of the, uh, the CAP will be able to connect into those. And so a separation buffer like this uh, really is, is going to look at development in that particular area. And how do you interface uh, with a natural area? What kind of edges do you plan for the development that comes in here? Uh, what we don't want are areas where you've got the, the trail coming right up to the back of the, the home so that Trail users are looking right over into the backyards of, of residents, uh, it, which really kind of despoils the, the, uh, the, the experience for the trail user and certainly despoils the experience of the homeowner who's maybe got people tracking over there. So we want to make sure we've got plenty of separation in an area like this so that we can get the wildlife uh, in and out and uh, the users in and out and everybody has a positive experience. And with that, do you have some... Closing comments, Sean?